Welcome to Purpose and Productivity, a podcast made possible by the SkyPass Group of Companies and SkyLife Success. Join Krish Dunham, an author and speaker whose messaging has been described as the junction where God's ability and man's availability meet hope's accessibility. Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Purpose and Productivity. It seems in the days of laziness that seems to have come upon us, we are focusing more on purpose than we are on productivity. Our goals, our ambitions, our dreams, and our desires have not changed to make a difference, but we are living in some perilous times. Somebody sent me an email and asked me to talk about faithful fear. Can we be afraid and still be faithful? Can we be afraid and still be concerned with what is going on while convicted by the sovereignty of divine grace? There are many doubts and anxieties that creep upon us that limit our purpose and curtail our productivity. Leonard Ravenhill, that great revivalist preacher, always used to say that when you get to a certain height and you look down at the world below, When you see the landscape, you can't see its problems because you're above it. I wrote this the other day. I said, the authority of confession with the mouth and belief in the heart as a precursor to the assurance of never having to be ashamed is a perfect formula for conquering the fear of shame. So what is faithful fear? You and I are unfortunately living in a time where we are being inundated with what we call the gospel of convenience. Many pastors want to fill their pulpits and fill their pews instead of filling the parishioner with the Holy Ghost. And by that, I simply mean that there is a self-aggrandizement that is spreading across this world. There are well-meaning people who are preaching the authority of the inerrant, infallible Word of God. I'm not a preacher, so I have not earned the right to criticize them. They have a thankless job. Most preachers do it because they love being shepherds. And somewhere along the way, they have to cater to the needs of the masses. And sometimes they do walk away from what the God of the heavens has called them to do. When he looked at Peter, the one who denied him, and three times said, feed my sheep. It was almost as if God came to Peter three different times because Peter had denied him three different times. I love how Ravenhill put it. He says, Peter, who wanted to be completely washed and uh, refused to have his feet washed and uh, went through all this great three years of ministry and tumult with the Lord, eventually scurried when a little girl's finger pointed at him and said, I think he's one of them. And he says, no. So how do we get faithful fear? How do we stay afraid but remain faithful to the God of our ancestors, the God of our calling, the God who calls us, the God who is the great caller? The first question to ask yourself is, are you at any given time, if not at all time, afraid of disappointing him? If not, you should. There should be a trembling when we walk into the house of worship because we are going into a place where we are going to offer up to the living, loving God who himself sacrificed. Ravenhill in one of his messages pointed out that as he traveled the world, he likes to go to different museums. And in doing so, he likes to see the depiction of the crucifixion of Christ that many different artists have rendered over a period of time. And some of them have become immortal works of value. And they hang in great galleries for display as people get to go and look at the authenticity of detail. 
How precariously was that crown perched? Where did the blood trickle? Where were the nails put in? Did he have a garment? Was he hung in shame? Was there a hole in his side that water came out to prove that this man was now the son of God? What happened? Everybody depicts that scene in a different way and Ravenhill points out that none of them can do it right. All of them were probably wrong because at that particular moment when he hung on that cross, God himself turned away because he didn't want to see. And if the God of heavens could not see what his son looked like, how can man comprehend what that scene may have been like? But that is that holy trembling fear because we walk in with awe that this God said, I want to rescue you as you are. One of the greatest lies the devil tells us on a daily basis is that you can't get into heaven because you're no good. And by the way, you uh, are always a candidate for hell because of the bad you have done. Adrian Rogers says there's nothing you can do that is good enough that will get you in. There is nothing that you can do that is bad enough that will keep you out. This holy fear has to be because someone steps in the mediation and takes on the conviction of our sin. So whatever is bothering you today, whatever is sidelining you today, whatever thoughts of inadequacy you have today, whatever supplanting the thought of morality and holiness in your heart that is being supplanted with guilt of treachery and treason that you have committed, whether it's to self or to someone else, bring it to God. And when you bring it to God, bring it to God with a holy fear, a holy trembling. There is so much of the convenience of grace offered in these New Testament church uh, buildings that people forget that there is a vengeful and an angry God who is a jealous God. I know this is not a motivational uh, diatribe of any sort, but I really do believe that we may be in that season, as that lady put it, that we may be in the calm before the storm. What if this is the precursor to the seven years of famine that Joseph foresaw when he became the prince of Egypt and he became the prime minister of Egypt and he had to interpret a dream saying, what you're about to embark on, what you're about to embrace is going to be a horror like you have never seen, so you better save up for that. What if God is going to allow in this world a wrath so unforeseen, uh, a scene so uh, dire and diabolical that you and I will actually look back in 2020 and wish for the day when we could have just been locked up and masked up and not asked to interact? What if what we have experienced is the calm? Where will our faith come from? Will that faith come from a trembling, a fear, a very fear that says, Lord, I do not want to disappoint you. What do I need you to do so I can be appointed by you? Are you desperately clinging to his word at this time? I have done many messages across the globe by, by way of virtual reality and Zoom conferences and all of that. And many people say, during these time, I'm clinging to the word of God as a respite, a place where I can find rest. God's word is not just so that the weak can be can find recluse, but it is for the strong to see that it is a reservoir of information, of a, a place where Paul himself says, I want you, I beseech you to live a life worthy of your calling. Are you desperately clinging to his word? Not clinging to his word to be revised or to, to be revitalized or reading his word to be energized, but desperately clinging to the word because the word existed before us and the word will be with us and the word was given to us and the word became flesh. So when you cling to the very word of God, you begin to ask yourself those questions. I now have a fear, but that fear is a faithful fear. 
So first, are you afraid of disappointing him? And that should cause us peril. That should cause us some kind of consternation and stop and make us pause. I have unplugged myself from a lot of social media for that very reason, because I see a lot of scripture thrown up there. And the scripture is thrown up there saying, can I get an amen? And I'm wondering why anybody would ask somebody else to get an amen for the word of God. That is a given. Everybody needs to be reading the word of God themselves. That doesn't mean you shouldn't put up scripture and that doesn't mean you shouldn't tell other people that you're reading your Bible. But I really do think that the social media experiment where we're trying to justify God in a digital deluge is actually getting inundated with everybody's perception of what the message of the moment should be. But God's message for the moment has been the message for all times. I am God. I sent my son to die for you. He took his place. He took upon himself your sin. And when he hung on the cross, his father turned away. Are you desperately clinging to his word? Just as a person in an ocean uh, clings to a piece of wood just to stay afloat, not because he can't swim, but after a while, his flailing arms will fatigue. After a while, his kicking legs will uh, cause him some angst. So what he does is to give his flailing arms and his kicking legs a respite, he clings to a board of wood. Now, the board of wood itself is not something magnificent. It is a floating piece of debris that was probably once part of the hull of a mighty ship. Maybe the very ship in which this man capsized. But a small piece of that mighty thing he clung to allows him to believe for a moment in those waves, in those waters, whether they're shark infested or any other way that he may have a chance to live. Desperately clinging to the word of God, desperately clinging, desperately clinging. Are you desiring that you would tremble at his name? One of my mentors said, if you go to any other worldview, they call their God's Lord as a prefix to whatever they say. And we humbly just use Jesus as if that was his, uh, you know, as a Jesus Christ, as if Christ was his last name and JC are his initials. WWJD, what would Jesus do if Jesus were here? Jesus, my Savior, where is the reverence? Where is the reverential trembling at his name? I am is what he said. I am, not I was, not I will be. I am. Who should I say sent me? I am. Tell them I am sent you. The great I am. And that's why when I, when I hear that song, Mary, Did You Know, or uh, the other song of Will I Dance For You or Will I Fall At Your Feet, the irony of this is trembling. And I think from now on, when we walk into the halls of God's church, his bride, that we tremble. We tremble because we are being allowed into the presence of sanctity and sovereignty. We walk into our churches and our sepulchers with a holy fear that the God of the heavens was one who considers that body his bride, his most beloved, for which he gave up his life. Remember, we're talking about faithful fear. Don't focus on the fear. Focus on the faith. But the way we get to that faith is through this trembling, this fear of disappointing him, this desperately clinging to his word, and this desiring that we would tremble at his name. Remember, as we started, this gospel of convenience is comforting, but it should be condemning at times. We need to be asking ourselves, 
how many people who believe they're actually going to come to the face of God won't get there because they accepted some mumbo jumbo and not the truth of his word. When you look at the apostle Paul who was on the road to Damascus as the persecutor, the authority who had studied under Gamaliel, remember the words given to Ananias who says, go to a street called straight. Here is a man, his scales will fall off and then he will see me. And when he sees me, he will be my chosen emissary to the kings and the Gentiles, but his hurting has just begun. The man who came to hurt would hurt more than anybody else. The man who came to to sink was himself shipwrecked. The man who came to lambast at people was himself languishing in a jail cell from where he wrote the epistles that changed the world. Is there a holy trembling? This gospel of convenience is comforting. Yes, he does save. Yes, anybody who confesses with their mouth and accepts with the heart that there is his heart will have that salvation. But how then should we live? Is that why Annie Johnston Flint wrote that magnificent hymn, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater, He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, He addeth His mercy. To multiplied trials is multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we've reached the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto man, but through his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Lord Jesus, raise my gift, but lower me, said one preacher. Another said, Lord Jesus, please don't give me so much that I'd become uh, independent of you, yet don't give me so little that I'd become discouraged. And then yes, for a contemporary world and a culture that is on a collision course with catastrophe, maybe we need to pray to the heavens above and say, Lord Jesus, feel free to show off at my expense because when I walk out in public today, I will walk out with the fear of disappointing you. I will walk out by desperately clinging to your word, knowing that you have gone before me. I will go with the desire that I would tremble at your name. And when I mention your name, there will be a quivering on my lips because I can say your name. Remember, the Jewish people did not even want to offend the God of heavens. So they did not even want to have a word for him. Yahweh, they said. We need to yell it from the mountaintops and we need to yell it to the mountaintops with a trembling. I love how this is put. When we awaken to the fact that when we treat God as a friend who rewards rather than a father who rebukes, we will return to being faithful out of fear. When we awaken to the fact that we need to be treating this God more as a father who rebukes rather than as a friend who rewards. Yes, we have a friend in Jesus, said one hymn. Yes, what a friend we have in Jesus, we sing. But is it that friendliness that is allowing us to get into proximity in a buddy system thinking we deserve what we have received? Ultimately, the grace that he gives us is undeserved merit. We don't deserve grace. We deserve the mercy. The mercy we got, we deserve because only God can give us the mercy. But the grace we have is undeserved. He gave it to us while we were still sinners. My friends, A holy faithfulness is bathed in fear. Look up to the heavens and ask yourself, why have you not been more afraid of the word of God? Now, I don't want to sound like a revivalist preacher, but maybe that's what God wants me to sound like today. 
I know you probably tuned in wanting to hear a motivational speech. Some of you who listen to me probably don't even ascribe to this Christ. And I'm telling you, please make a holy decision today to get to know him, read his word, understand that his word will ignite in you a desire to be a productive denizen of humanity. You will be able to do some amazing things. Yesterday, I had the privilege of being on a almost two-hour Zoom call and go to Francis Kong's page on Facebook or Skylife Success on Facebook, and you may see links of that, where we talked about this thing called love. And we said we cannot love other people in the way that God has called us to love because we refuse to accept his superior love. And because we refuse to accept the fact that we need to first be loved so that we can love, maybe we will never understand the difference between happiness and joy. And our entire pursuit becomes happiness, which is one event after another. I want this pandemic to live so I can start traveling, so I can go see my family, so I can go see my loved ones. I want to be able to do this so I can take off the mask, so I can get back to normal. Everything is contingent on something else happening. And meanwhile, God is not sitting in heavens going, oops, I can. I wonder how this happened. Suddenly a year has passed by and my people need my attention. Folks, God operates outside time. He's a demand. He does not operate within the linear dimensions of how you and I see him. He sees our past when he brought us into existence. As Jeremiah 1.5 says, long before you came as forth, before you were in your mother's womb, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have life everlasting. If he designed and orchestrated our birth long before we were in our mother's womb and anybody who believes in him shall not perish, it is not a gospel that is now suddenly given to 7.85 billion people as an easy out saying, you know what? It's like a game of Monopoly. I'll roll the dice and if I don't have that, uh, if I can pass go, I can collect 200 bucks each time. And all of us dread that card that says, do not pass go and do not collect 200. Is it life a game of monopoly? No, it's not a rolling of the dice. There is a holy ordination that is given to us. And that purpose and that plan is birthed in this faithful fear, the fear that we would disappoint him, the fear that we will abandon this clinging to his word, or we will just use it as a place, a, a respite instead of a reservoir. And finally, the just the trembling of his name. I've been praying that, Lord, let me tremble at your name. Let me tremble when I talk about you. When I talk about you to other people, let them see in me the shaking of how much I fear you, how much I revere you, how much I sovereignly want your hand on my life. This has not absolved me of problems. God knows we have a litany list of them. This has not taken away my fears. Every day I articulate my fears and trying to find scripture that will give me some kind of comfort saying that God does not walk and work in our time. He works outside of time. So what you consider is impatient is actually God patiently waiting for you to realize that his time will always be the right time and his time will always be the perfect time. Remember this, when we awaken to the fact and start treating God, not as a friend who rewards, but as a father who rebukes, we will return to faithful fear. 
I hope this message that was partly designed to be revivalist, because as Adrian Rogers says, if you raise a generation based on rights, all you have is revolution. And when you look in city after city, capital block after capital block, capital square after capital square, you see revolutions and counter-revolutions. People organizing protests in India as their farmers are doing and in other parts of the world that other people are doing because everybody's problems are a result of something that was this global pandemic. Livelihoods have been affected, lifestyles have been challenged, human beings have been evicted from their homes, jobs have been lost, incomes have been had to be sacrificed. People have killed themselves out of desperation. People have succumbed because of the disease. And when we look around us, God is looking at us saying that, all in due course, all in my time. Do you believe in me with the fear that I will deliver? Do you have a faithful fear that what you have seen may just be the calm before the storm? I didn't mean to scare you. I meant to serve you. Hopefully this will wake you up to get on your knees tonight. Make sure that when you go to bed tonight, you get on your knees, open the word of God, immerse yourself in it. Read the word of God before you close your eyes and pray and ask God, what would you have your holy servant do for you tonight out of this fear that will give me a faith that is birthed out of this fear that I can go out and show that I tremble at your name and I'm desperately aware of your presence. That concludes another episode of Purpose and Productivity with Chris Dunham, brought to you by Skylife Success. Please subscribe, rate, and visit us on the web at chrisdunham.com and skylifesuccess.com, where you can find our social media links and access to additional resources. Till next time, happy learning and happy living. Thank you.